You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. There's, there's a great buy-in um, from everyone in the organization, on the team, on the unit, and everybody has at least an understanding of the language. And, and uh, whether we've got the habits, whether the behavior's been habitized or not, you know, we still need time there. But, but we know, they know, uh, we understand what the expectations are. Uh, that last game, that last game definitely pushed me. And uh, I definitely don't want it to happen again. So that definitely uh, was my motivator. You know, some of the things that happened last season, yeah, they stick with you. And I think it's important you kind of think about that, you know. Um, it's, it's motivation, it really is. Um, definitely just playing for each other, too. I, I feel the unit is, is tighter now than it ever has been. And, you know, I, I feel guys really playing for each other, um, really taking each other accountable, you know, taking care of each other, giving each other advice, things like things of that nature. Well, one week of fall camp here nearly in the books. Hello, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Husker Online show as we kind of put a wrap here on this first week. Uh, Nebraska has had five practices. They'll take Friday off and have one Saturday, then take Sunday off. So this is kind of just that introductory week. They got through the half pad and helmets only days. They they worked their way into full pads by Thursday. Uh, They'll have another full pad practice on Saturday. Uh, But nonetheless, this is, you know, kind of that bonus week that they weren't expecting. Uh, But you heard from Bob Diaco um, you heard Mick Stoltenberg, Nick Gates, um, as they kind of look at things. And, and, and you get the sense, Robin, as Nebraska opens up camp, there is an urgency. Um, just the way last season ended. I mean, Nebraska, it was almost fool's gold. They were 9-2. and two. They spent a month in the top 10. And then it just all came crashing down hard at the end. And it has just left such a bitter taste um, when you talk about Nebraska football nationally where nobody really – wants to even touch Nebraska at this point because there's just kind of a lack of trust in the program with how they played, and you just get that sense from the players how motivated they are as camp opens up. Yeah, there's a sense of urgency because there needs to be a sense of urgency. Um, you know, the last two years have been disappointing, and there's no other way to put it. I mean, obviously, the, the first season, you kind of take it for what it is and complete transition of culture, and so you just – you you kind of go with that one. But then year two, uh, for things to fall apart the way they did last year after a 7-0 start, like you said, at 1.9-2, uh, and then to be embarrassed the way they were on the national stage three times, uh, I mean, that that can't sit well. Uh, for a team that has championship aspirations, you better darn well use that as motivation. And, you know, so far, um, you know, on through the spring and then, you know, through the first week of fall camp, um, you know, guy, guys are taking that or uh, saying the right things, you know, go, going about it the right way. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of what you would expect for a team that definitely got humbled as the year went on last year. Yeah, and I feel like this kind of started after, right after the bowl game last year, you know, and it's kind of carried on. It's been a common theme since that point in time, you know, when Mick Stoltenberg and the Davis Twins were walking off the field talking about, you know, how they needed to step up and what they needed to do to, to um, you know, hold themselves accountable and hold other players on the team accountable to, to get this team where it, they, where it needs to be. Uh, you know, that's definitely continued through, and I think it's been a common theme from a lot of the players and, and even the coaches that you've talked with so far um, through fall camp is that guys are taking a business-like approach to things. You know, uh, it sounds like a lot of guys have matured and, and are just approaching everything uh, from practice to, to off-season workouts, everything uh, a little bit differently with a little bit more sense of urgency. And, um, you know, even even the coaches, like I said, I, I think talking with Coach Kavanaugh, you know, he had a little fire fire to him today, um, you know, about how he wants his, his squad, his line to play. And, 
um, what they need to do to kind of set the tone. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see things, how things play out going forward. If, if this is for real, if, if, if they've kind of taken that step and if, it, if they are going to be, um, you know, playing with urgency and if it's going to pay off this year. Yeah. And, and there's just such an unknown factor here. Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, Nate Klaus, as we discussed kind of some opening storylines here throughout fall camp, but just that unknown factor of, what this is going to look like with Tanner Lee, with Bob Diaco. And you get the sense the coaches want to keep that fairly guarded. Uh, They made an adjustment as far as what we're allowed to see. Uh, Traditionally, it's always been we could watch the Saturday practices, which have typically been the big scrimmages. Well, a late curveball was thrown our way uh, to start out camp that, nope, the Thursdays will now be the open practices. We don't They don't want the media in there on Saturdays uh, because they're, they're being pretty protective of what they have. And, you know, I get it. Um, we're pretty lucky that we even get to see practices, let alone um, before that. We got to watch scrimmages the last two years on Saturdays and um, that you're basically running through your opening scripts in those scrimmages. And uh, even uh, the Thursday practices week, Robin, you know, we got to watch it, but they conveniently moved everything about 100 yards away from the media, and they had about 60 players standing around blocking the view of the media. I got to think that this is a direct result of Bob Diaco's in, uh, influence on this coaching staff. You know, he kind of had a reputation, uh, especially at UConn, uh, of keeping things pretty locked up. Uh, and I think that you're starting to see that translate over. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, like you said, it, it is what it is. It could be a lot worse. It could be Iowa where you get like one press conference and talk to the assistant coaches, you know, once all season. Kansas or State the Kansas same State. way. I mean, so, I mean, Nebraska still has it pretty darn good. Um, so uh, I think the, the idea behind, you know, like you said, moving the, the open practice where we get to watch to a day where they didn't really do a whole lot on Thursday as opposed to a Saturday where they're probably going to scrimmage was certainly by design. And uh, I think that, you know, we talked about earlier that the sense of urgency, um, you know, I think the one of the advantages, um, as much as it can be, you know, a question mark about this team, uh, the unknowns surrounding Nebraska, I think is actually one of their biggest advantages uh, as far as their opponents, because no one knows what to prepare for. Uh, there is no film of Tanner Lee at Nebraska outside of, you know, a few snaps, you know, of really vanilla offense in the spring game. There's no film of that 3-4 defense at Nebraska under Bob Diaco. So, I mean, that that's kind of the one uh, ace they have up their sleeve. And, and you keep- think about teams like Oregon, too. You don't want Oregon to get exactly. a jump on that. I mean, yeah, Arkansas State, that's a big advantage, too. But Oregon, to me, in week two is the one that you really have to make work hard as they prepare. No doubt about it. And so, I mean, that's, like I said, I think this is all part of the master plan. And uh, like I said, it would not surprise me one bit if Diaco's influence didn't play a big role in what they're doing this fall. I think you'd almost have to be kind of worried if they were completely open and and showing showing all their cards off, you know, and, and it going into detail with personnel and explaining how the defense works and and what the theories are and, and so on and so forth and letting us watch, you know, all their different packages and, and everything that they're that they're installing. I I think uh, I think it makes total sense that, that they're being kind of guarded because, as you said, Robin, it is kind of an advantage right now. Uh, there's certainly a lot of question marks surrounding this team, uh, not only by the fans and the media. Here, here, but also by all the opponents that they're going to be facing this fall. Guys, and I've seen this now and I've heard it, and Joel Klatt uh, wrote it nationally, said it nationally. There's just this quiet confidence with Mike Riley, too. Like, he he feels good. You can tell that he likes where it's going, um, but, you know, it, it, you just got to go out on such a limb to go out and say that without seeing it nationally. No one's going to say that until they see Nebraska perform, but you get the feel Mike Riley likes the direction things are going right now. 
Well, yeah. I mean, he's he's got his quarterback now. Um, he's got you know some pretty talented skill positions around that quarterback, and you know there's some questions on the offensive line, but that's still a group that returns five players with starting experience and some good young players coming up the ranks behind him. Uh, on defense, you went out and spent a bunch of money on a hand-picked defensive coordinator that runs the type of defense that you want to run. Uh, you got a talented secondary, a deep linebacking crew, and you know as long as things go well in the defensive line, I mean that transition should continue to be pretty seamless. Uh, so I mean there are plenty of reasons for optimism, uh, and probably uh, reasons why this season will be significantly better than what a lot of national, um, you know, pundits and you know Vegas bookmakers are, are thinking. Uh, and I think that just goes back to people just don't know about Nebraska. But when you talk to people that see it on a daily basis and are around it, uh, they there's a reason they feel pretty good and so i mean that that's kind of the one thing nebraska's hanging its hat on that all these question marks that we're talking about are going to figure themselves out once the season gets going and this is something that we'll talk about a lot but i think everybody's definition of what a a successful season is is different and and that's that's the complicated part you know is it wins is it playing close against great teams and coming up short but um or at least getting a couple of those wins uh i i think that that's where you know the debate is amongst husker fans and we're going to have all summer here um, in fall camp and, and preseason to talk about that as we get closer. But we've got a full show here on camp, uh, on tap for our opening week before uh, the start of the season. Uh, we are going to talk offensive storylines, defensive storylines. We're going to talk freshmen that have stood out here in our fourth segment. And then Nate Klaus will give us the latest in recruiting, including Cameron Brown, who will be making his announcement here sometime next week. Uh, will he pick Nebraska a second time? We'll get Nate's, Nate's take on that. That's all next here in this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Just, you know, being there with my teammates, even though I had to go through some things this summer and just being the same person I was before, you know, just working extra hard to not let my team down and, you know, the people who believe in me the most. But we talk about that stuff in our room. You know, we talk about everything. So not only his experience, we've all shared experiences in our room. We talk and... So that helps everybody when we have when we talk like that in our room in terms of non-football issues. So his his issue just adds adds to that education in terms of when we do have that those kind of conversations in our room. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as we are talking offensive storylines now here in fall camp. And you heard from Stanley Morgan Jr. and wide receivers coach Keith Williams talking about the summer that was for Morgan as he had a marijuana incident uh, where he was cited in Florida back in May. The charges have since been dropped um, after he went through a diversion program and it was his first time offense. So um, it seems like things are moving on. There are no official formal charges on him. Uh, We don't know if he will be suspended, but with no charges from kind of a, a legal written thing on paper, Um, I think there's a pretty good chance he may not actually have to miss any game time. And, you know, Keith Williams is a guy that 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 can relate. I mean, he went through his own personal mess um, last year. So, you know, when he's asked about these things, I mean, he he can take it on from a different perspective. And uh, it's something that all the receivers um, in his room uh, talk about and have learned from Robin. Well, and, you know, I think you compare uh, the, the fact that the charges were dropped with Mike Riley's comments at Media Day about how proud he was of Stanley and Antonio Reed, for that matter, uh, about the work they've done this offseason. Um, you know, I think they, they went through, uh, you know, I'm sure a program and, you know, went through their own kind of internal uh, discipline, whether that be extra workouts or whatever, you know, 
whatever you have it, uh, I think that they may have done enough to kind of put this thing um, to rest. And so right now, um, I'm almost under the impression that there will not be any sort of suspension. And if there is, it won't certainly won't be a full game, maybe a half or, or whatever. But um, I think that they're happy with the steps Stanley has made. He clearly, um, you know, was humbled by this. You know, when you get your name drugged through the mud like that, um, kind of embarrassed on a public stage, um, that can do a lot to kind of change your, your focus a little bit. And so uh, all indications are he's taken this the right way. Um, he's grown from it and, uh, you know, done the things necessary this offseason to kind of atone for his mistake. Yeah, that, that's my read on the whole situation is that it's going to be, you know, kind of handled internally or has been handled internally. You know, when, when you do get in trouble, um, you know, obviously one of the first things that I think anybody – wants to see is that you show a little bit remorse you you work a little harder you you work to correct your your wrongs the the mistakes that you made and uh now that there are no charges i don't know if there's really and and along with the fact that stanley uh, you know did whatever he needed to do and, and did it apparently very well over the summer i don't know if there's really any uh any ground to stand on in, in terms of saying, okay, well, you, you have to miss this X amount of time or a game or a half or whatever. So uh, that's kind of my read on everything that, that he's already kind of paid for his mistake now. And as we talk offensive storylines, let's move over at wide receiver. DeMornay Pearsonell had to miss the first two practices because of his sister's wedding. He's back at it, guys. And I'll tell you what, he looks the part. Uh, he looks quick. He has that kind of burst about him. Um, I think he's poised as well with Stanley uh, to, to really put up some numbers and with the accuracy of Tanner Lee and the efficiency of how he runs the offense, they, to me, have to be the guys that are going to benefit the most, uh, really more than any guys that we've seen under Mike Riley the last three years. You know, not knock on wood here, but I think this may be the year where DeMornay finally gets back to the level he was during his breakout freshman year. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's finally healthy. Uh, he rushed back, in my opinion, um, after that first injury, and last year was never really himself. You know, he, he looked just a step or two slower than the guy that you know we were used to seeing when he was a freshman All-American. But I, based off this spring, uh, and you know, so far this fall, uh, he looked like the old Demorne. And then you know, you hear him say things like, "This is the strongest I've ever been. Uh, my legs feel great. You know, I don't have any hesitation." That's all lining up for this to be a breakout year for Demorne Pearsonell. And you know, if this is a guy that Seemingly for the last three years, we've been talking about how he could be uh, an impact guy in Mike Riley's offense, being that kind of versatile wide receiver uh, that, that can do a little bit of everything, right? you know, running the ball in the jet sweep, uh, catching screen passes, being you know a versatile sp uh, split-end wide receiver, being in the return game. I mean, this guy could do a little bit of everything, and now that he's actually healthy, uh, it's all on the table for him, uh, and he, he has every opportunity this year to, to have a, a huge senior season to cap this thing off right. He's he's walking around and talking with a lot of confidence, not cocky, but you can tell that that he feels good. And and you know when he says that he feels as good as he as he ever has, that he's as strong as he ever has, and um, and that his main deal this year is just getting back to the basics and just having fun and not not worrying about things, not thinking too much. I, I think that's a good sign because that's what we saw out of him as a freshman. He just he just went out there and made plays. Didn't you know wasn't thinking, just did what came naturally to him. And and I think now that he's been able to to become healthy and kind of put all those injuries behind him uh definitely poised for a breakout year as we continue our talk here on offensive storylines let's move over to running back um it's just such a hard position to get a feel for 
mainly because a year ago we just didn't get a lot to chew on. We got flashes of Wilbon. We got flashes of Zigbo. We got flashes of Trey Bryant. Newbie was obviously the number one guy. Um, we think Bryant's got the edge right now, but Ozigbo physically looks as good as we've seen. Wilbon has continued to tease us for three years. It's it just I I do not I don't have a great feel for it, guys. I just really don't, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You can view it both ways, and I don't think anybody has a good feel on this. I don't think the coaches have a good feel on it as as to you know who is going to emerge. They've been saying since the day they got here they want a number one workhorse running back, and yet no one has been able to do it since Amir Abdullah left. So uh, that's the same problem going into this year. And you know, I guess the positive side is that yes, you're, you don't have you know a, a feature back, but you do have three running backs that have all played. Um, at this level and have done well in their own right at times. And so, I mean, that, that gives you versatility with a number of guys that can help you in a, you know, a, an assortment of different packages or situations. So uh, I expect them to, to rotate heavily. And so whoever's the starter, I don't think it makes that much difference because that's just kind of a title. I don't think it's going to lead to any um, significant um, extra workload from any, any of the other backs, just because I think each one of those guys brings something different to the table. And then, um, you know, you add in, you know, maybe a freshman like Jalen Bradley. I mean, that's potentially four guys that could all work in and do a different way. If you, I'm going to throw this out there before we get to the next topic here. What is the percent, in your opinion, that Nebraska has a 1,000-yard runner, if you were to put a percentage on it? I'm I'm going low just because I mean that's twenty five percent. There's only I'd so many carries. Yeah, there's only so many carries to go around. I think you're looking at maybe a leading rusher with seven eight hundred yards. Yep. So but, yeah, low. I, I would put you know twenty twenty five. Can they get two thousand yards out of that group as a? I mean, I think that what's the? I mean, I think that will be interesting. Yeah. What is the goal? Yeah. What What's the total combined rushing? total out of that but group. Look, subtract the sack yards because that, that's the garbage yeah. thing about college they take quarterback sack yards off your rushing offense I, I i guess just when you look at the sum of those backs what will be their total yards well for me i'm also looking at it as they're going to be incorporated in the passing game more exactly. than ever with screen passes and and all that sort of thing and so i'm going to look at it more as a total offense standpoint um you know because that that screen game is going to be an extension of the running game so while they may not have their traditional you know, rushing yards that we're used to seeing from Nebraska running game, I still think that those running backs are going to have an increased production just in terms of their all-around impact. And so, um, If we run around the horn right now, I'd be hitting like the points button as you were saying that take, right? That's a pretty good point right there on the screen well, yardage. And that's something that, that Reggie Davis brought up Thursday was that that he likes how the guys are catching the football and how the guys are, are running the screen game now. You know, Trey Bryant, Mikhail Wilbon, Divino Zigbo, even uh, the true freshman Jalen Bradley have all done really well so far running that screen game, and that's going to be a big part of this offense. And we're going to talk more about Bradley and his impact here in our next segment, but we're going to end the discussion on offense. We're going to shift over now to defense as Bob Diaco has things rolling. Uh, we'll give you our thoughts on this defense next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Joshua Kalu could play a myriad of different positions really, really well. Um, he's a talented player. He's a rugged, tough player. He's a smart player. We all collectively believe that safety is his natural position. We believe that from an evaluation standpoint and a future standpoint, that he would be a very, very good corner, maybe even a great corner. But in my mind, there's no doubt that he is and or will be one of the best safeties in the country, if not the very best safety in the country. And, and furthermore, 
the safeties are really premier positions in our defense. So in our defensive system, it's a big, big deal to have great safety play. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus says we're going to talk defense. And before we get into it, Robin, can you tell Bob Diaco to clip the mic to his shirt next time? It was really weird because they tried to, and he said no, and insisted on holding it right up to his mouth, which is why you get the the pop. It was like he was like a, a rapper trying to spin beats or something. I mean, I have never, in all my years of post-practice press conferences and press I've never seen the guy actually hold the clip-on mic with his and fingers. He, he insisted on it, so may, maybe that's his thing from now on. Better get used to it. Adjust well, your levels. They better just come out with a stick mic and just let him hold a <laughs> stick mic next week. But, you know, the comments he made might have been, it, it was the most powerful statement of the week um, because – he comes out and says that Joshua Kalu could be one of the best, if not the best, safeties in the country. And I think everybody's like, wait a minute. What did you just say? <laughs> You're Bob Diaco. You, like, don't say anything, yeah. and then let alone you say this? I think everybody in the huddle did a triple take when he said that because, for one, that's huge praise. I don't care who's saying it. When you say one of your players you know, who's never played a college down at a new position could be the best player in the country or may be the best player in the country at that position already, uh, That that's cause for, uh, I guess, alarm in itself. But then when it's Bob Diaco saying it, uh, that dude does not give out praise easily. Uh, in fact, he's kind of notorious for uh, downplaying things and you know not getting overly sensationalized, um, going into really any detail whatsoever about certain things. And so for him to set the bar for one of his guys that high, um, that's, that says a lot. Uh, and I think, you know, it kind of goes along with, um, what other coaches have been hinting at, you know, Mike Riley at big 10 media has said they loved Joshua Kalou at safety. In fact, used the word love twice in the same answer, talking about how much they like Kalou at safety. And then uh, obviously Bob Diaco took it to a new level, uh, saying that he could be, you know, one of the best safeties in all of college football. So, um, the, the expectations could not get any higher now for Joshua Kalou and, um, you, like I said, it's, it's one of those deals you hope that you know they're not just setting this guy up to fail, but um, again, with this staff, I don't think they say things just, just to pump a guy up. Yeah, Bob Diaco definitely doesn't say things to, to for the sake of saying them, and um, which is why I think you have to put a lot of stock into into that statement. The other thing, too, is you know this isn't just some like first-time coordinator saying, well, my guy could be the best guy in the country. I mean, Bob Diaco's been around the block a time or two, and he's seen good defensive backs. And, and matter of fact, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name out of UConn that, that uh, went high in the draft, did outstanding at the Combine last year. Uh, but, you know, and, and that was he was kind of a sleeper guy. And, and so uh, just, just last year he had a high-round draft pick coming out of the out of his secondary so um you know for and I think that's part of the reason why there's maybe a little bit of excitement there with Joshua Clue because um they think he's a really good football player and he plays arguably the most important position in that entire defense Obi Melif Meli Fanwu. That's who you're talking about. Yes. Second round pick by the Raiders. Yes. Well, and that's the name is that's why I didn't even want to go just, there. It just flows off the tongue. <laughs> that, was, that was a good out by Nate, and he just totally exposed him there, Robin. Good job. <laughs> but I, I think it's clear with this defense to be in that safety spot, you've got to have a lot of trust in those guys and you've got to limit the big plays. And the two guys they have now, Aaron Williams, Joshua Kalu, there's a lot of trust in both these guys. And Bob Diaco's defense is kind of a not a bend but don't break, but they really stiffen up in the red zone and and make it hard to score. And to do that, I think you need good safety play. 
You absolutely need good safety play, and that goes with uh, Diaco's furthermore part of that <laughs> that bit we opened the segment with. I mean, that uh, he made it no secret that the safety positions are maybe the most important pieces on this entire defense because they're the quarterbacks out there. Uh, they make all the pre-snap checks in the secondary, uh, communicate with the inside linebackers to make sure everybody's on the same page. And so um, not only do you need to be good players, you need to be smart players. And that's where a guy like Aaron Williams, who uh, the late Bob Elliott called maybe the smartest player he'd ever coached in his 38 years of experience, and then Joshua Kalu, who Bob Diaco says could be the best safety in the country, that's a big deal. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of question marks with the inexperience at corner, but those two safeties give Nebraska a huge edge, especially in a year when you're transitioning to a completely new defense. Um, that could be a huge advantage for Nebraska as they go into this year. Well, Scott Booker said this week that, um, you know, both Aaron Williams and Joshua Kalu can cover, they can tackle, and they're very smart. They're, he called them football junkies, uh, guys that, that not, not only know their own responsibilities, but know the responsibilities of everybody else uh, on that defense. And, and I think when you have that type of football IQ uh, combined with the ability to cover and tackle, uh, that's, that's basically the perfect combination for uh, the safety in Bob Diago's defense. As we continue our defensive discussion here uh, on the Husker Online Show, um, some movement on the defensive line. Peyton Newell moves to nose. Um, ben Stilley's back at defensive end. Colin Miller officially inside linebacker. I know some people wondered why. They just think he's a better fit there long term and kind of on the fast track uh, for playing time. Those are really some of the bigger personnel moves. Uh, we're going to get into the freshman guys that can contribute in our next segment. Uh, but that front seven in general, um, you know, I still question the depth on that D-line. Khalil Davis now has moved over to defensive end as well. So they're doing some different things, I think, to get ready for those freshmen to be moved in there. Um, but, yeah, the depth up front still has to be a concern even here in August. I think they really like their top-line guys, maybe even their first four guys. After that is questions, and that's why you're still seeing some shuffling going on because they're just it's, it's still a process of adjusting to a new scheme. They, I mean, guys, you know, have, were recruited to play a three or a four-three, and now they're being asked to play a completely new front. And so, I mean, that's that's going to take some time uh, for guys to find their natural spots in this new defense. And so, um, you know, I'm. I think that depth will come. Uh, you're going to rely on some young players to have to learn in a hurry, which um, you know can be a, a bad thing, you know, because you guys are going to have to learn the hard way. But it can be a very good thing too uh, that you're going to get some very talented young players thrown in the fire right away, and they're only going to get better because of that experience. And so you're kind of building the foundation going forward to have a, a pretty deep and a pretty talented defensive line. Yeah, and I think if there's one spot on the defense where you would say Nebraska really needs to stay healthy, it's it's D-line for sure because of that lack of depth or or at least lack of experience, uh, you know, outside of that those frontline starters. So, uh, but when you look at when you do look at those starters, I mean, you have to be you know pretty excited about what they bring to the table, um, you know, and especially with the versatility of of the Davis twins. I think those are two guys that are really emerging as as players that Bob Diaco, John Perella could could get you know have a lot of fun with and do just a lot of different things with them because they are so uh, athletic and, and versatile um, you know up front they could really play anywhere across the board up there so that, I think that helps out a little bit as we wrap it up I want to close it on this guys the thing that I've really noticed so more than anything with this defensive staff is the energy level uh, it starts with Bob Diaco but you think about who they've lost and who they've replaced them with and the new coaches. 
Dante Williams, energetic style. Scott Booker, energetic style. John Perella, we know he's an energetic style. And Trent Bray. Um, so I, I think the energy level that I've seen out there with this defensive staff, starting at the top with Diaco all the way down to every assistant, that has been very noticeable. And I think the players really buy into that style of coaching and enjoy it. It's huge to have every single player or coach on your staff be on the same page when it comes to just intensity and the delivery of your message. And so when you got all those guys at 100% in everything they do, that will inherently translate into the players and uh, make them go about that with everything they do, both on and off the field. All right, we've held out this long. We're going to talk freshmen next. I know a couple times we wanted to slide a couple freshman guys in there and some talk. We've given a whole segment to talking just freshmen and some early guys in camp of what we've seen uh, and what we've heard. And that's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, he's really athletic and uh, he's talented that way, which which has uh, stood out to me. He's got a a ways to go in in learning and understanding what we're doing, but... uh, He's working on it, and then when he has the ball in his hands, he's explosive. It's been fun to see. He's had a couple really nice runs, uh, caught a screen and came out of the backfield nicely. So he's doing a good job of showing what he has uh, talent-wise, and then he's just got to keep continuing to learn. Uh, but he's but he's pushing this group. It's been it's been fun with with uh, seeing how quickly he's picked it up. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus has. We are now talking just freshmen and guys and newcomers that we've seen here uh, over the first week of fall camp, sharing what we've seen, what we've heard. And um, that was the most recent news from offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf, also running backs coach Reggie Davis, kind of praising the play early on in camp of true freshman running back Jalen Bradley. And, um, you know, he was always kind of a wild card because his staff, Nate, was never really all in on him until the very end. A lot of it was academic related. Um, but I think how he played at Bellevue West, some of those skills are, are translating at Nebraska right away. Well, yeah, I mean, most of it was academic related. I, I know for a fact that Nebraska you know, was recruiting him. They, they had their eyes on him. You know, he was basically a visitor, unofficial visitor at every single Nebraska home game last year. So, um, I mean, they, they were they were after him, but they couldn't really jump two feet in, you know, until they had a better idea of what his academic situation was going to look like. So really that, that became much more clear at the, at the end of the fall semester, and that's uh, coincidentally when Nebraska offered. Um, and he didn't take long to accept that. And, and uh, you know, after having such a special senior season and, and doing some things that we really haven't seen anybody do in the state of Nebraska, at least in class, say football before um you know he's he's kind of picking up right where he left off and making a name for himself so far through fall camp what's going to be interesting is if mikhail wilbon one thing that you know was the knock on him and a reason why he couldn't see the field very often just inconsistency particularly in just catching the football Uh, and to his credit you know not a lot of running backs had much success catching screen passes from tommy armstrong but uh that was an issue for him and i'll tell you what man uh for a guy that you know Getting playing time is going to be hard enough in this running back rotation, and now you add in a true freshman who's kind of fitting exactly the role that we foresaw Mikhail Wilbon having. Um, there could be some serious yeah. competition there. Yeah, you go back to that Maryland game when he had basically a touchdown, yep. a screen that was going to go the distance and just dropped it. I mean, he still thinks about that, but 
nonetheless, it will be interesting. There have only been four running backs that have redshirted in Nebraska since mm. 2002, and three of those four never went on to play it down, and one of them was Mikael Wilbon. So if Bradley plays, it shouldn't be some major story because dang near every freshman running back starting since David Horn have played, Nate. Yeah, that's the one position on offense I, I feel like that, um, you know, if you're if you're you know worth a lick that you're probably gonna find the field somehow some way uh, whether it's it's uh, in certain packages or or whatever you know um, and I think that uh, once they get on the field they continue to grow we saw that with a guy like David Horn we saw it with a guy like Trey Bryant last year who who started to see a little bit of playing time and then by the end of the season you know he was becoming more and more involved until he got hurt so um, you know Jalen Bradley with his ability to to catch the football and like we mentioned earlier in the show that's going to be a big part of the, what those running backs are being asked to do this year. Uh, I think that definitely will help him see the football field. As we move it on, we have to go tie John Lindsay guys and, and discuss his impact. Um, they've they've been somewhat protective or guarded, but just comments that we've gotten and guys we've seen talked to. I mean, th- he's the real deal. I mean, Tyjon Lindsay is going to have a role. I think the dilemma, Robin, will be he's playing the same spot with Demorne Pearsonell. How do you? rotate those guys in. Nebraska does not play four wide receiver sets. Mike Riley's offense is a three wide receiver set. The tight end would become the fourth at times. Um, So they will not just have four out there. There will be just three at one time. So they're going to have to find ways to get him on the field in situations. Yeah, and I think they'll they'll be able to get him in in some aspect offensively, but special teams for sure. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's immediately involved in the return game. And here's something to keep an eye on. Uh, DeMorne Pearsonell is obviously already going to have a lot on his plate, especially now that he's fully healthy. I think this is finally the time where Mike Riley can utilize those skill sets offensively uh, to their full potential. Do they end up thinking that maybe punt return is just, you know, kind of weighing DeMornay down? Well, that opens up a pretty clear spot for Ty John Lindsay to do one of the things he does the absolute best, and that's, you know, be a star punt returner. Uh, and so, I mean, I think that, that if, if for some reason they have a, a second thought about keeping DeMornay back to return punts, that could be a role where Ty John steps in and becomes immediate impact guy. Well, and I think the the impressive thing is that. The coaches have said that Tyjon has been everything they thought he was and, and even more so far. Um, and that he's and, and even better yet is that he's picking things up at a fairly you know quick pace right now. So uh, and that's always the biggest hurdle is how fast you can learn stuff. So I think, you know, depending on how comfortable he is with the playbook, um, you know, they, they will be able to find different things for him to do uh, and get him on the field. Uh, whether it is as a as a punt returner, maybe maybe taking Demorne's spot there, or or um, you know subbing Tyjon in for Demorne in, in certain situations or packages or, or whatever the case may be. But uh, the bottom line is he's a versatile guy, and and there's really outside of Demorne, there's probably not another guy on the team that has as much juice as as what Tyjon Lindsay has. So let, in recap, three guys probably on offense have a pretty good shot. We we know Tyjon is going to play. Jayvon McQuitty we think is going to play um and and then obviously uh, Jalen Bradley and then Ben Miles Ben Miles potentially a special teams guy uh, Reggie Davis said him today I don't know about those tight ends um but am I missing anyone guys when we talk about freshman guys that could see playing time yeah on offense no um you know I think the tight end group uh, I mean I think they're encouraged with what they've seen from Austin Allen and Kurt Raftall but uh you know there's still so many guys ahead of them already I mean we talked about Hoppus and then today or on Thursday uh Daniel Langsdorf pointed out to Jack Stoll and uh Snyder uh, as guys that have really kind of flipped a switch this this spur, uh, 
spring and on into fall camp. Um, so, I mean, I think that's maybe your, your top three right there. So the chances for those tight ends seeing the field this year looking pretty slim. All right, let's move it over now as we discuss freshmen on defense. Um, I think when you look at, at the defense as a whole, um, there, there's a group of four or five guys that stand out initially. Uh, DeAndre Thomas, Damian Daniels on the defensive line, uh, Avery Roberts at linebacker, uh, and then Guy Thomas. I, th- I think when, when you look at the group of incoming freshmen, those are the four quote-unquote dudes. And I, I'll tell you what, Nate, Guy Thomas – I, I don't think anybody knew he was going to report at 2.30 when he got to Lincoln. No, no one, nobody knew that. And, you know, he was one of those guys that was uh, had a very strange recruitment. You know, he committed to Nebraska sight unseen. And then, you know, it was kind of a you know, not looking very good that Nebraska would even be able to keep him. Uh, I mean, one of his last official visits before signing day was actually a trip to Nebraska uh, to see for the first time. So, um, and, and, you know, just a guy that was not all over social media, not a guy that, that a lot of people, you know, were able to go see him play live, um, you know, in, in his senior season. So when he showed up looking like he looked and he's a legit 6'3", 230-pound guy, it's like it's like whoa. Um, this he's he's on the all bus team already as a true freshman, um, you know. And now let's see what he can do. And, and let me tell you, from what I've seen, limited stuff that I've been able to see at practice, he's explosive. He can run. And so they, they said they're going to force feed him, um, you know, and try to do whatever they can to get him on the football field today during O line D line one on ones. He was he was taking reps as a defensive end. So uh, if they can get a pass rush out of him in certain situations I think that would be huge I'll add too that there's a lot of pressure that goes with wearing number 93 as a defensive tackle at the University of Nebraska (laughs) and Damian Daniels so far through five practices uh, looks to be holding his own I mean that dude is a beast he is every bit of the 6-2-3-10 they have him listed on the roster Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's a little bit more I mean that's a big dude for a true freshman and you know, with the we talked about the depth concerns they have on the defensive line, um, the, the, the road is paved for him to be a, a guy that is on the fast track to being a fixture in that defensive line rotation as he moves forward. Yeah, I think overall, guys, it's safe to say we're going to see five to seven guys probably not redshirt. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm crazy, but I, I think five to seven, Nate. Um, if I had to guess right now, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty safe uh, to say, and, and there's a chance that we could even see a couple more. You know, if, if I was being guys, conservative yeah yeah if guys really step up and and uh can make an impact on special teams or or if there is an injury or two i I think there's there's no question that that we're going to see a large amount of of true freshman play maybe the most true freshman of any mike riley team thus far play all right we've talked freshmen we're going to shift the discussion now over to the 2018 recruiting class we'll close the show uh, with the latest on Cameron Brown, who's going to make his announcement next week. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we talk recruiting. And, Nate, you know, you, you look at kind of the storylines of the week. Cameron Brown, who was once committed to Nebraska, decommitted Coincidentally, basically the day he got his Ohio State offer, uh, said it wasn't for that reason. Well, Cameron Brown is set to make his announcement uh, Monday or Tuesday of this upcoming week. What's the chances Cameron Brown announces again towards Nebraska? 
Well, actually, I think they're pretty good, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, that's one thing. When when he decommitted on June 10th, he said, you know, that he was opening up the process and that Nebraska would still be a school that he'd be considering heavily. Um, and and he's kind of, you know, a lot of times recruits will say that, but it, it does not really hold a whole lot of water. But in his case, you know, he it, it's been true. He, he came back to Friday Night Lights and had a smile on his face that, that entire night, um, you know, when he was out there around the coaches, around the other recruits that were there. I mean, Cameron Brown, you know, just absolutely loved that, that his night there uh, at Nebraska's Friday Night Lights camp and for Big Red Weekend. And now, um, you know, he's said that he's getting ready to make another decision and uh, he's going to be picking between Alabama, Georgia, uh, Missouri, Nebraska uh, and Ohio State, and and I I firmly believe that Nebraska is probably the team to beat once again. You know, and it's an odd situation. This type of thing doesn't happen very often, um, and I can't really tell you exactly what what made him back off the commitment, and then you know if he does in fact recommit, you know why why it all went down that way. But uh, I definitely think the chances are very solid that Nebraska adds Cameron Brown back to this. Um, class here pretty soon and, and that would be huge for Nebraska going forward as we talk recruiting here with Nate Klaus Nate I'd, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't at least go down the bookie Radley Hiles road with you here in this segment because it really has been probably the question we've been asked the most um, people read between the lines they see his Twitter profile no longer says Nebraska commit he's been kind of different lately um, there was the whole stuff from the IMG Media Day with the rumors about Florida, him following Florida coaches. Do Husker fans have to worry about this right now? I no, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, I'm 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 pretty confident that that this is nothing to really get you know to, to wring your hands over. I don't think uh, I don't see Buki going anywhere else but Nebraska at this point. Um, so I, I wouldn't get too too worried about it. You know, at the same time, I can't really explain why you know why he seems to have you know why his tone has, has changed a little bit maybe or or why you know he's taken Nebraska commit out of his Twitter profile or um you know w- you know why he you know wore a Florida hat in that picture or why he's been following some Florida commits and and players and coaches and whatnot I don't know but I what I do know is that he's he's still very close to Nebraska is still recruiting for Nebraska you know he's he has family on Nebraska's team he and Tyjon Lindsay are cousins you know he's he's known um uh, Dante and- Williams since since he was a little kid you know he's known him for for over a decade um you know his relationship with Mike and D Riley is about as close as I've ever seen between a recruit and a head coach before so um I just don't see any way that that Buki would would decommit from Nebraska and you know and, and he caught a lot of you know that the picture of him in the Florida hat got a lot of traction but what didn't get nearly as much traction is that he still took a, another picture in a Nebraska hat he went on a podcast later on that day and said that that he was a solidly committed to Nebraska and that he's still recruiting guys and if, to, if it bleeds it leads Nate come on yeah, now <laughs> well yeah I know and I know I'm not naive enough to to believe that that uh, there's not a little smoke there or that this isn't a little strange it's definitely a little strange but what I know about Buki is that um, he's typically a very calculated individual and won't show his cards 
uh, until until he he wants to or or until it makes sense to and and to me this just doesn't make sense if he's that close to Nebraska and the players and the coaches and everything I don't know why he would purposely kind of throw Florida in their face um, you know if he was going to make a switch I think he would kind of do it quietly and respectfully so um, again I don't see this happening I don't think it's anything to become overly concerned about right now you're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we wrap things up with recruiting talk and Nate Klaus Nate some new recruiting rules came into effect this year. Explain to the average guy that only has time to maybe read a few recruiting stories a week what exactly the new rule is. Well, there's been you know a lot of rules kind of were were voted upon last uh, last spring, and um, you know one of which what we know about it, it was uh, the early signing day went into effect in December. Uh, there was some different regulations put on the satellite camps. Well, beginning August first, a couple new rules. Uh, went into effect and one of which is that you know the month of august now is a dead period um you know and then juniors now will officially be able to start taking their official visits april 1st of next spring so so players right now that are that are entering their junior year of high school will be able to start taking their official visits april 1st uh, of next spring and that will run through june 24th um, so they'll have a handful of months to take some trips, and then um, and then after June 24th, I think it's the the last Wednesday of June through basically September 1st. All is pretty much going to be a dead period. I think there's one week that at the end of July that's not a dead period, and the dead period means that that. Coaches can't have contact with players on campus or off campus, so there are no unofficial visits. There are no coaches going out to um, to a kid's school or anything like that. So those are the major changes that went into effect on August 1st. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we wrap up recruiting talk. Daniel Carson's as well, Nate. The, the headlines continue to move with him um, what's the latest uh, with the big defensive end target out of Kansas City? Yeah, Daniel Carson, who, you know, after Nebraska um, kind of lost Judge Culpepper uh, as, as the Florida defensive end committed to Penn State, I think Daniel Carson became that number one target if he wasn't already. And, uh, you know, and, and Nebraska's got a lot of competition here. He was at Oklahoma's big barbecue uh, last week. Uh, he, he just picked up an offer from Texas. Uh, Ohio State is coming knocking. Even Florida is involved. Uh, but I, I still think that, you know, he, the way that he talked about his unofficial visit to Nebraska's Friday Night Lights camp um, and the way that he talks about John Perella and that relationship there, um, you know, had me had me feeling pretty good about Nebraska's chances. He says that he wants to make his decision by the middle of his senior year. So he's kind of right now in the process of setting up some official visits. And uh, we should know here in probably the next two to three months where Daniel Carson is going to be playing his college football. And, um, you know, right now I think Nebraska, if they're not the leader, I think they're right at the top of his list. And then the other thing to, that kind of raised some eyebrows, um, you know, Joshua Moore I think is claiming that Nebraska does have some pretty high-profile silent commits. What do you make of, of those comments? Well, and yeah, and Joshua Moore's not the first person to say it. Buki told us that there were upwards of six silent commits uh, to Nebraska coming out of Friday Night Lights camp. And uh, Joshua Moore says that there's two, and uh, one of which is a five-star and one of which is a four-star player. Um, you know, if you, if you believe that – 
you know, you have to think that that Micah Parsons or or the safety Talanoa Hufanga out of Oregon, those are pretty much the only two five stars that have visited Nebraska right now. I think there's going to be some other five stars taking trips to Nebraska this uh, this coming fall. Uh, but I, I I tend to to lean more towards uh, Nebraska having a better chance with Micah Parsons at this point in time. Uh, and then there's a lot of four stars that could potentially be um, you know silent commits, I guess, to Nebraska. Uh, you know, some services have Cameron Brown as a four-star. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of noise that uh, Houston Griffith, the, the DB out of IMG Academy, uh, is a silent commitment to Nebraska. That one's all over the map, but I mean, I, you think I think most people think it's Florida State or Ohio State, right? Uh, no, actually, right now, I would say that uh, all signs are kind of pointing to Florida State or Nebraska, Florida with, State or Nebraska. With, with Houston Griffiths. So now Ohio State's obviously still in the picture. Notre Dame is still in the picture, uh, even Texas a little bit. But I think right now, um, you know, most people would say, yeah, Houston Griffith would probably end up at Florida State or Nebraska. Uh, but again, you know, with Joshua Moore saying that, um, what we do know is that um, it's two things. Things. One, you can't always put a lot of stock into to silent commits and, and a recruit's definition. Because they're silent for a reason. Exactly. A recruit's definition of being a silent commit uh, is pretty much all over the map. You know, some kids are actually legitimately committed and have shut everything down, but they just haven't gone public with it because they want to do it at a certain time or date uh, or, you know, on you know have their own press conference or whatever. Other kids say, well, yeah, coach, I'm coming, I'm coming to Nebraska, but, um, you know, I still want to take some trips or I still um, you know want to do this or that and, and they keep it kind of off the radar that way and and obviously that's you know not not very solid uh, so uh, we'll see what happens but the one thing the other thing we do know is that there's definitely a lot of things going on behind the scenes so um, while you know the month of July seemed on the surface to be pretty slow and and not a whole lot going on. I I can I guarantee you I, I know for a fact that there's a lot of movement, a lot of things taking place kind of behind the scenes, and and a lot of things are being set up to happen uh, for this fall once official visits begin. Well, there's going to be a lot to follow here, um, starting with the Cameron Brown news uh, on Husker Online here in the coming days, and obviously uh, wall to wall fall camp coverage as. Um, we have four more weeks to go before Nebraska's season opener with Arkansas State. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.